0: You know, if you were here last week, we started a series last week that's called Hope in the Dark. And we're talking about breaking the cycle of anxiety, depression, and fear, and hopelessness, and despair, and all those things that weigh us down. Uh, We know that that is a very real issue in a lot of our lives, that almost everybody has dealt with it at some point, if you're not dealing with it today. And we believe that the church should lead the way to help us to find solutions for these things in our life that, that can cause us so much emotional turmoil in our life because you know we know that uh you guys know the bible says that we we are victorious that the enemy is defeated he's under our feet amen okay but that doesn't mean he gives up does it he still is going he's not going to give up until that day where he gets cast into the pit and so uh we have an enemy that we have to fight against in our life and so we as a church want to help give us the tools that that the lord has given us to be able to, to fight against this um, now, let me just say at the, the front end of this, I said this last week, I want to say it again today. I, we realize there is a very real physiological side to depression and anxiety. I talked last week about the statistics of how many people in the U.S. are, are on anti-anxieties and anti-depression medicines. And those are all great and good. And we're, we're thankful for that. We've made a lot of advances in, in science and in medicines to help with that. Uh, but I am not a doctor. So I am not going to be talking about that aspect of it although I do know that it is very real. In fact, I, I shared last week, just as a moment of transparency, that Joy and I both have gone through seasons in our life where we felt it was advantageous for us to talk to our doctor about it as well, and, and we pursued those means too. So there's there's no shame in that. I'm just not an expert in that, so we're not gonna be talking about that, But because I do know there is a spiritual side to it as well. Amen? And because we have an enemy of our souls that's fighting against us, we can come against him on the spiritual side, and I do feel like I know a little bit about that because I read this book every once in a while, and it tells me a lot of good stuff about what we have as followers of Jesus. So um, as I read the first verse this morning, I know you guys have been standing, some I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time, just in honor of reading the Word of God. This is a theme verse we're doing for this, this series that we're reading each week, and it is out of the book of Philippians. This is Paul's letter to the Philippian church that he wrote while he was in prison. Uh, chapter four, one of the best chapters in the whole Bible, verses four to seven. Read with me. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let uh, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Well, let us pray as we, as we move forward in this time. Lord God, we just thank you for this time that we have together today. Lord, we thank you for your sweet presence in this place. I, God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person that, that took time out of their schedule to come here today to be at church. We pray that you'd bless them, that you'd minister to them, that you'd speak your peace and your rest each and every one of them today. Holy Spirit, please come, have your way. You are welcome in this place. We pray that you and you alone will be glorified in our midst. We give you all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Before you're seated, high five somebody and say, I need rest. (laughs) And if you don't need rest, come on up here and preach this because the rest of us do. So this is the second week of this series, and uh, the, the title of my sermon today is actually called Rest and Peace. Now I want you to make sure you enunciate the and there, okay? It's not rest in peace. We're not talking about death today. We're talking about life. So um, it's rest and peace. And When you share it with all your friends, make sure you enunciate that and very clearly, okay? I'm going to talk to you today about finding rest in a world full of turmoil. How many of you know that it is hard to find rest today? You know, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual whatever it is, mental, it is very difficult to get rest because we live in such a busy society, such a busy world. Uh, you know, if you ask somebody, how's your life? What we hear all the time is, I'm just so busy. Everybody's busy. And, uh, and it's a real thing, but I was actually thinking this week, when we talk about being busy, there are a lot of terms that we have coined uh, that mean busy because we say it so often, we feel, I guess we feel like we have to just keep coming up with new ways to say it. And so I wrote some of them down because there's so many of them. I I was thinking about, I'm swamped. I don't have any idea how that means busy. Uh, Covered up. uh, Busy as a bee. I guess bees are busy. Uh, I'm always chasing my tail. Running like a chicken with its head cut off, which is a little gross, but also funny. I've seen that firsthand. Uh, I have a lot on my plate. I'm up to my... My eyeballs, my ears, you can use pretty much any body part above the neck for that one. Uh, I hit the floor running. running. And my personal favorite, I'm busier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. (laughs) Some of you might not get that till you get home, but that's that's funny. Um, The thing is, there are a lot of demands on us in our culture. Some of it's actually unavoidable, you know. We just have to, some of, sometimes we just have to, to give in to some of the busyness, if you're, especially, I mean, if you're a, a married with kids and, and you, you become a taxi after a while and you feel like all you're doing is just putting out fires all day, you're running around like your hair's on fire. Um, a lot of that is just part of our culture. Uh, but you know, we're not the first culture to have to deal with that. In fact, you can go all the way back to the book of Job um, and you can see in the book of Job in, ver- in chapter nine, verse 25, even Job refers to it. He says, my days go by faster than a runner they fly away without me seeing any joy. I wonder if that's you today. Do you feel like that's you sometimes? That you feel like your days are just flying by, but they really just kind of—you're just trying to get to the end of the day. You're not really experiencing a lot of joy in your life. Well, that's not God's plan for any one of us. He has come that we would have rest. That we would have inner rest. We can have rest in the midst of our busyness. Busyness does not have to negate the rest that God came to give us. Because again, sometimes we're just going to be busy. But we can have rest in that busyness. You know, it's not those that are the least busy that have the most rest in their life. It's not those that have the the, the most open schedule that have the most rest. It's not the most those that have the, the least amount of relationship issues or marital issues that have the most rest. It's not the those that have the most money that have the most rest. God knows that's not true. You know, having more money doesn't give you more rest. It just means that you're worried about your Mercedes instead of your Honda, you know? Or you're worried about your Rolex instead of your Timex. I, 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 can, I can attest to the fact that for me, the time of my life when I was in business and I was making the most money I was ever making, it was the least amount of inner rest I was having in my life. So I can attest to the fact that money does not make us have rest. I know sometimes we think, oh, if I could just get a little more money, then things would just calm down for me. It's just not true. Uh, some of the most wealthy people in the world are some of the most miserable people in the world. And so uh, we can't buy into that lie either. It's not those types of people that have the most rest in their life. It's the ones who have um, understood and embraced my text verse for the day, which is in Matthew 11. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 11, 28, and 29. Look what he says here. He says, come to me, all, everybody say all, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Can I get an amen? Amen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Boy, that's a glorious, glorious verse. And if we could only get that verse from the paper to the heart, amen? Because I know some of us read that and we think, yeah, it's all well and good on a Sunday morning, but is it really doable? And I want to encourage you today that it is absolutely doable. Uh, it's not easy. It's something that we have to work hard at because, again, there is an enemy that's trying to keep you from getting that rest because a Christian that is at rest, inner rest, uh, is very, very dangerous against the kingdom of darkness. You know, and Jesus gives us an example of that. when We, we see the story of Jesus in the boat. You know, he's on the boat, and the disciples are saying, oh my gosh, we're going to drown, we're going to die. It was obviously a really rough storm. Jesus is dead asleep on a pillow in the boat that's what rest is. It's not necessarily that the storm isn't there, but it's that you know how to rest in the midst of the storm. And that's his heart for each and every one of us. And this is a promise that God has for those of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus, because we are part of his family. You know, we sang that, that last song today, I am a child of God. Because of what he did for me, I am a child of God. Well, for children of God, that means we have the rights of children of God. We are part of the family of God. The Bible tells us that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. So we get the same rights in our life that Jesus has in his life and that he came, came to bring us. And when you know that, this next verse looks really, really cool because it's in Isaiah 9. This is Isaiah prophesying the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, he says, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the prince of peace. It's part of his kingdom is that he is the prince of peace. And no one's taking the kingdom away from Jesus. So if he is the prince of peace, that means me as his brother, because I'm a co-heir with him, that I get to have that peace too. So we know the Bible tells us we have that, but we still don't necessarily always walk with it. We still have to learn how to walk in that rest. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, you know, the Bible also talks about when we got the Ten Commandments, you know, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, He came down off from Mount Sinai, gave Him the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments was remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and the children of Israel were, were supposed to rest that at least that one day a week. And we all know that we still try to observe that today in a lot of ways. It's good to have a day of rest where we don't have to try; we don't have to be productive with our work. Um, but you know, what's even more beautiful than that is that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, after what Jesus did for us. It actually talks about Jesus being our Sabbath. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is our rest, that he is our Sabbath, which if you understand how that works, that means that we can have rest every day of the week, not just the one day. We can have rest even in our work. We can have rest even in our storms. We can have rest even in our trials because of who Jesus is and what he did for us. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's pretty amazing stuff. Now, the key is, okay, how do I get that rest? Because I'm all on board with getting the rest that Jesus wants to give me. Amen? I think we're all on board with that. It's a matter of figuring out how we get it. Let me, let me just, before I get into that, I want to mention one more thing. There is, because of the fact that we are children of God, and we are called to have rest, there should be something in us as followers of Jesus that when we don't have that that peace, that inner rest that God calls for us, that we should realize that something is wrong. That we should be, it should make us take notice that "Hmm, something's not quite right here. Not just like, I don't really like this, but you know, it just seems like everybody's living this way. So I guess I'm just going to put up with it and hope for the best. But really that something is off. I I shared last week, you know, that most of us, we have that that light on our dashboard that tells us now if our tire pressure is low and how it can be kind of frustrating when that light comes on because, you know, you know there's no chance that you're going to drive around and air is going to just appear in your tire, right? So you're going to have to do something. And you can get a little irritated to that light. I said, You know, we have three vehicles, and it seems like one of them has a light on all the time. And uh, But then, you know, you have a, I had a realization that, you know, there, I, don't, I shouldn't get mad at the light because the light's not the problem. The light is a warning sign telling me there's a problem somewhere else in one of those four tires, right? And that's exactly what that that anxiety, that lack of rest, that, that depression, hopelessness, despair in our life is meant to do for us. It is meant to tell us, hey, bro, Christian man, woman, boy, girl, there's something off. You're missing something. You're, you're not getting into what I have called you to be into. You've not, you've not embraced what I have come to give you when I said that I've come to give you rest. And that should cause us to say, okay, I don't have to put up with this for the rest of my life. I don't just have to wait till I'm retired and hope that things will slow down, which, by the way, I've never talked to a retired person in my life that has said their life has slowed down from retirement. In fact, I always hear the opposite. I don't know how I had time to work before. I'm so busy now. You know, that's just kind of how life is. Something is always going to fill that place, whether it's some, a boss telling you to come to work or if it's your spouse telling you to do your honey-do list. You know, there's, there's always somebody wanting to tell you, give you stuff to do with your time. So we can't count on the fact that we're just going to wait. We have to realize something's off. And I've got to refocus something. I've got to tweak something. I've got to get some more understanding in this. Because, you know, that first verse I read, our theme verse for the week, or for the the series, the last verse in, in Philippians 4 and 7, it says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That word guard there is actually a militant term. It's like a military guard. It's as if a guard is standing there with a sword or a machine gun guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, that's pretty cool that God is guarding us in that way. But to get that peace, he he didn't say, like, my peace is just going to guard your heart and your mind no matter what. We have to understand it and be able to step into it and walk into it. But we have the rights to that. God has given us the right to put that holy spirit soldier in front of our heart and mind and not let the enemy come in and steal our peace amen well and so let's let's look at how we would do that because you know as a as a christian we would say well why do so many christians just seem to settle then for less than what god has for us well i would i would say one major thing i think that's working against us in our culture today is just that we live in a society of, of quick fixes of efficiency, everything we're looking to be more efficient with everything in life. Everything is marketed to us in a way of it's quicker, it's faster, it's better, it's more high-powered, it's, it's whatever it is. Everything is about getting quick and getting it taken care of quickly so we can get on to the next thing. That is something that's being programmed in us every day, church. And I'm not saying it's a horrible thing. I'm actually kind of wired that way myself. I like, I'm I'm kind of a problem solver. I look at a problem. I like to see the problem. I like to look at the solutions, apply the solution, get it over with, get it off my list and move on to the next thing. That's kind of how I live my life, really. It's just how I'm, I'm wired. But I'm here to tell you today that if you want to have that rest that God gives us, there is no quick fix. There is no dealing with it, moving on to the next thing and not have to worry about that again. This is something that that we're going to be dealing with moment by moment for the rest of our life. Now, as you mature, you hopefully will be getting better and better at it. You know, as you learn to deal with it and learn to handle the issues that come up in your life, uh, chances are you will get better at it, but it's something that's going to take some time. We have to learn to rest. Uh, Somebody said one time that, you know, life's kind of like, If you're you're at the train station and there's trains coming and going, and and you're you're waiting on trains, well, there's an anxiety train that comes in every once in a while. And sometimes, before we know it, we're on that anxiety train. We didn't really mean to get on it. Maybe somebody pushed us on it. But you find yourself on that train. But the beauty is about the anxiety train, any train in our life, is that it makes a lot of stops. And it's up to us to choose whether or not we're going to ride that thing endlessly or if we're going to get off. And as we mature and we grow in our relationship with the Lord and in maturity and and wisdom, we learn that, okay, I I might get on the train, but I'm going to get off at the next stop. (laughs) I'm not riding this train for three days or six days or a month or a year. I'm getting off this train. We have to learn to not always have an emotional response to everything that happens in our life, but to actually be able to look at it and say, okay, I mean, we all get on the anxiety train. I've been on it. I was on it probably a couple weeks ago. We we're gonna get on these, these trains, we don't really wanna get on. The key is we have to get off. <laughs> we have to get off the train, don't stay on it. And we learn that over time because it is a process. Um you know, I, I was I was just thinking as I was preparing this message. A lot of you know about the the fact that my mom, she actually a little over two years ago, she passed away. Um she lost her battle with cancer. Uh I hate to say lost her battle because she actually got promoted. So uh we're, we're okay with the result, but it was pretty sad for, for a, a while. But, uh, you know, she was diagnosed uh, the week of Thanksgiving a few years ago with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, went through chemo, and uh, after chemo was done, she had a scan. The scan came back clear, so they were, we were really excited, you know. We were rejoicing and excited about the fact that, this, uh, that, that the Lord had taken care of this situation for us, and, and it wasn't even a few months later that she started acting very different. We could tell something was wrong again. Uh, she went back to the doctor and they, they were doing some tests and uh, you know I just felt like I needed to go up there and be there when she got the results of the test We, we weren't sure of anything, but just I wanted to be there uh, I have one brother up there that was there too And then I have a brother down in Florida that, that couldn't be there but, So I went up and um, sure enough the doctor called and said Hey, whoever's in town needs to come when we give the results So we knew it wasn't good and, um, the doctor came in the next day and gave us the results and said that uh, your, the cancer has come back and it's leukemia. It's the most aggressive form of leukemia. And you have, at the most, a week to live. And uh, as you can imagine, it was devastating for us. There was a lot of crying, a lot of hugging, a lot of um, just, just, you can imagine the scene in that hospital room when we got that. And I remember very clearly after a couple minutes, I looked at my mom and I said, uh, I said, so mom, what are you thinking? And she just looked at me and she said, you know, i just kind of sad that I'm not gonna get to see my grandkids get married. I really wanted to see them get married. And I said, I, in my mind, I thought, you know, that's an interesting response to this whole thing. And, and uh, I said, so that's it? She said, yeah, she said, she looked at me, and she said, Reagan, I'm, I'm good. I know where I'm going. I'm ready. And I'm okay with this. Like, I'm ready to go see my Jesus. She was, you know, mid seventies. And she said, I've, I've lived a good life. She said, I'm ready to go. And It was so amazing because you know we took her home they brought in hospice and we had a whole week with her at my brother's house and people were coming constantly all day every day to say their goodbyes to her and what we what we found that whole week was that she was for the most part she was the one ministering to the people that were coming to her they were upset and crying and she would tell them over and over again it's okay it's gonna be okay you're gonna be okay everything's fine i I, i'm gonna be fine i'm i know where i'm going and i was so proud of my mom because i saw her walk through that situation with so much peace so much rest. There was no outbursts of rage, like, God, why are you doing this to me? None of that. She was able to go through it with complete peace and rest. But listen, church, it was not because she just kind of did her thing, and then when she got that announcement, she was just like determined in her mind, I'm just not going to freak out. It was because she lived her life learning moment by moment how to live in the peace of God how to go through this, the turmoil and the, the trials of life. And my mom went through a lot and lots of turmoil and trials in her life. And she learned through those to not stay on that anxiety train, but to get off and to trust God and to walk in that peace and rest that God calls us to walk in. And, and I just, it, it was such an encouragement to me because I saw what the fruit of a life lived for Jesus can really be. And I was really proud of her in that moment. And that's what God wants for each one of us too. But I'm going to tell you today that if you continue to do the same thing that you're doing now and you're struggling with peace and rest. And, you know, when I said I'm going to preach on peace and rest, you're sitting there thinking, oh, praise God, please let it be, let it be a good sermon. Please let it be good. I, and I can't speak to that, yes or no. But the fact of the matter is, if, if we need that in our life and we all just kind of gasp when we say peace or rest, but we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, we're going to, have to, we're going to get the same results. If we really want change, we have to change how we approach our life if we really want to walk in that peace and that rest in our life. And I'm here to tell you today, church, there, is, there are no shortcuts. There are no back doors to walking in this kind of peace and rest. There is one way. There is one way to walk in it. And I want to share three verses with you that I really love that just minister to me when I think about um, who God is and, and what we can have in Him. The first one is from Psalm 62, 1-2. It says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Never. He says, I, he alone is my rock and my salvation. You know, you can find some temporary rest, mental, emotional, physical rest in other places, but if you want the sustaining, real, purposeful rest for your soul, that's only going to come from God alone. The next one is in Psalm 91, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, verses 1 and 2. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in His shadow. Dwelling is about where you live. This is not about a a haphazard, occasional visiting God's house and giving him a high five and saying, what's up? This is about dwelling in his house. You know, they say real estate's all about three things, right? Location, location, location. Well, where do you live? Because according to this, we need to be living in the shelter of the most high. That's where we need to be staying. Some of you need a change of address. Some of you need to move into the shelter of the Most High, not just come by for a visit whenever it feels right, but really stay there, abiding there. You know, the Bible says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. That's how good it is to live in God's house, is if you just hold the door for people, it's a wonderful thing. And some of us need to understand that, that that's really where this rest comes from. You're only going to rest in this shadow if you are living there. It doesn't say anything about those that come by, drop by, and hang out every once in a while that they get to rest in his shadow. It's the ones that dwell in the shelter of the Most High get to rest in his shadow. The next one is Jesus' words himself in John 15 and verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, that also means dwell. If you remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you will remain in him... That's where you will bear fruit. Now, it's interesting because when you talk about fruit, the Apostle Paul talked about fruit in Galatians 5. A lot of us know the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus is saying, if you will dwell in me, you will get that fruit. You will have that fruit, but you will not have it if you, say, if you don't dwell in me. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Now, that's ridiculous to think that we can't do anything apart from Jesus. Of course we can. we can. There's people that do things without Jesus all the time. But if you want this fruit, he's saying, you're not getting this fruit without me. You're not getting it. You got to dwell in him. You have to abide, remain, stay in Jesus if you want to have that fruit walking in your life. Now, that all being said, we know that there is a, a devil that hates for, the, for us to get peace and rest in our life. So he, there are battlefields that we have to fight through. To really maintain this peace, to really walk in this peace. And I want to give you three of these uh quickly to finish up my message this morning. Three battlefields for rest in our life that we're gonna to have to fight if we really want to go get it. The first one is conformity. Okay, we have to fight the battle of conformity. It is a fight not to conform to this world, isn't it? How I many of you know if 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 you allow it to, the world will tell you what to wear, what to think, what to believe. How to, dress, or how to cut your hair, what, who to vote for, where to work, where to live, what to watch on television, what church to go to. It'll tell you everything if you allow it to, won't it? We have to be intentional. Church, it is, it is time for us as followers of Jesus to stop letting the world determine how we're going to spend our time and how we're going to think and how we're going to do and, and what we're even going to do with our free time. You know, we we talk about not conforming, but yet, I think so many times we spend, we'll we'll kind of give our our time a little bit to the Lord and to church and that thing, but, but then we're spending so much time letting Hollywood and social media and the music industry just determine our thoughts. We allow them in, we give them free access into our life, and we think that it doesn't affect us, but it does. It does. We see it. The statistics are very clear that the world has affected the church in a very negative way over the last 20, 30 years. And we have to stand up and say, I'm not going to let the world determine how I think. I'm going to let the word of God determine how I think. Okay? We have to make it a priority. Look what it says in Romans 12 and verse 2. This is Paul speaking to the Romans. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So good news is we're not the first generation to deal with that. Okay? Paul's even having to tell them, hey, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Then he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me tell you, the world has a pattern, and it will suck you in if you let it. We have to be very intentional. That, that verse where he says to be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's a continual renewing. That's not a one-time thing. That's not where you come every, you know, couple years and renew your subscription to, to something This is a daily thing. Sometimes it's an hourly thing. I've gone through seasons in my life where I needed to be renewed every hour because I would give my mind and my thoughts to the Lord and within 20 minutes, I'm thinking about things I shouldn't be thinking about again and I'm having to give it to him again. So we have to be constantly renewed and that's how we're transformed and that's how we keep from conforming to what the world would want for us. It implies daily. You know, salvation, that happens instantly. You know, you come to Jesus... You confess your sins to Him and you accept what He did on the cross as atonement for your sins and you ask Him to come into your life and live in you and rule your life, you are saved immediately. But this renewal, this happens much more gradually. We should be getting better though. You know, we we fail all the time but we should always be getting better in our walk with the Lord and learning how to be renewed all the time. The second one is the mind. The mind is a it's, it's most, most assuredly the biggest battlefield we fight with the enemy. The enemy has, we let him have more access into our mind than anywhere else. You know, I try not to let the enemy have my hands or my feet. You know, I don't go where he wants me to go. I don't touch the things he doesn't want me to touch. But man, I'll let him into my mind sometimes. I just open the doors wide and say, come on in. Get me to think negative thoughts. Get me to look at worst possible scenario. Get me to think badly about myself. We all do that. We'll let them into our thoughts, don't we? The mind is a battlefield that we have to be willing and aggressive to fight against in our life because the enemy will continue to fight against us. You know, I, I was reading this week as I was studying for this, and everything I read said that we, the, the doctors say that um, we have about 70 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Our brain produces 70 80,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thinking. That is a lot I would have never dreamed. I thought I had about seven or eight. (laughs) That really goes against the nothing box that men say they can get into. There ain't no such thing. There's no such thing. But 70 to 80,000 thoughts a day, that's really phenomenal. And if you think if you open the doors wide and let the enemy into those thoughts, you imagine the damage he can do. No wonder he tries to get in our head. No wonder he tries to get us to think negative things. and Because if he can get us to think things, eventually, you know what happens? We start to respond to those negative things with our hands and our feet and our mouth yeah. and the things we do. We have to be very... When, when I think I got 80,000 times I got to resist the enemy in a day, that makes me tired. Yeah. I need the Lord's rest in my life. Yeah. But thank God that he said, come to me and I'll give you the rest. And he will put that... This is, Church, this is why we need that guard in front of our heart and our mind, yeah. that Holy Spirit guard. This was long before anybody ever knew there was 80,000 thoughts a day, and even back then, Paul was saying, you need a guard in front of your mind, because yeah. about a couple thousand years from now, they're going to realize that we're having 70,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. So God's way ahead of the curve here, letting us know that he will put a guard there if we trust him and if we lean on him. Yeah. You know, Joyce Meyer, has a whole thing she did about the battlefield of the mind, And, uh, man, I really loved it. It ministered to me a a lot when she first came out. She had a book that I read and a lot of teachings on the battlefield of the mind because she's dealt with it so much in her life. And She talks about stinking thinking. And she said, uh, you know, if you know Joyce Meyer, she just says it the way it is. I mean, there is no pulling punches. And she said, if you have stinking thinking, you're going to have a stinking life. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's that's a hard word, but it's true. You know, because your life will reflect what you think because you will respond to the way you think so we have to be trying to win that war but you know what it takes practice to win the war of the mind and i know some of you think oh, we shouldn't have to practice we should just be able to pray well i mean if you don't agree with that then you're gonna have to talk to paul when you get to heaven because he said in philippians 4 the very next two verses after my text verse or after the theme verse for this month philippians 4 verses 8 and 9 look what he says Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of what? Peace Peace will be with you. You know, nobody likes practice. I played football in junior high and I quit after two years because I hated practice. It's the worst thing in the world. The games were wonderful, but the practice stunk. And we, but we practice everything that we want to be better at, right? We practice football, basketball, baseball. We practice drums, piano, guitar. We practice our professions. We practice cutting hair. We practice plumbing. We practice accounting. We practice public speaking. We practice everything because we want to get better at it. But for some reason, we don't think we need to practice to train our thoughts, to train our mind. Paul says right here to think about these things. Look what he's talking to us about thinking about. Whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Those are all really great things. He's saying put it into practice. Because again, he's writing this from a prison cell. I promise you he was having to practice it himself. Instead of complaining about everything, he was saying, "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to practice thinking about good things. You know, instead of, for us, when we're sitting and we're contemplating the things of life or the day and all the things that are going wrong, instead of just sitting there entertaining those things and working ourselves up, we can sit there and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to practice this stuff. I'm going to practice thinking good thoughts. And some of you might say, well, I don't even know how to to even think about good thoughts because so many things are wrong. Well, you might want to pick up this book. You might want to open it up and start reading in here because there's a lot of good thoughts in here. You know, we can't think good thoughts if we don't know the thoughts of God. We don't know the thoughts of God without getting in the Word of God. So let's stay in the Word, and it'll help us to practice what Paul has asked us to practice to do. All right, and my last point, and I know we're running a little late here, give me five extra minutes and we'll be out of here, okay? The last point is submission to God's will. This is a battlefield for us. And I mean, I'm passionate about God's will because I think so many of us get it so wrong when we think about what God's will is for our life. We think it's about God's plan for us and where we're supposed to go and who we're supposed to marry and what job we're supposed to get and all these things we're supposed to do. When in reality, God's will for us is just that we would know him. It's just that we would love him and live our lives for him. But this is a battlefield for us because we're stubborn as humans, we're just stubborn. And we want kind of what we want. It's hard to submit ourselves to somebody else, but it's imperative that we do that we have to be submitted to his plan, his purpose, and his providence. His plan, purpose, and providence. His plan for us is laid out through the word of God. But I love what it says in John 10, 10, which is part of his plan. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God's plan for us is that we would have the life to the full. The other versions say that we would have a life in abundance. We would have abundance life. This verse has been used to, and distorted to talk about the prosperity gospel. The God just wants us to have a ton of stuff. He wants you to have that Mercedes and all that money and that big house and all that stuff because he said, I come to give you abundant life. And we've used it for that. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today, and a lot of you know this too, the more stuff you have does not make you have more abundant life. It just means you have more stuff. You know, and I, this, this verse... Has been I've been pretty passionate about this for a long time too because I spent a year in West Africa living in one of the poorest countries in the world ministering the gospel to those people. And I can tell you that when a Christian in West Africa that has no opportunity to ever really grow in their, their, their physical financial wealth because of the oppression of their government and so many other governments around this world that have been dealing with it for thousands of years, for a Christian that reads this verse in West Africa, it has to be true to them just as much as it is to me. So if it's true to them, it can't be about the stuff. If it's true to them, it has to be about peace and contentment and joy and being able to go through the things in life and rising above it because of who He is and what He's done in me. That is what abundant life is. But that's all about us submitting our will to Him and surrendering to Him and His plan for us. His purpose, too often times we think that His purpose in our life is to make us happy. And I can tell you today that he he wants us to be happy. It says he's a good father. Any good father would want their children to be happy, but it's not his top priority. His top priority for us is that we glorify him. Jesus himself came to glorify the Father. If it's good enough for Jesus, I think it's probably good enough for us, amen? That's the purpose for each one of us, but that's a fight for us in our thoughts because we think his purpose should be that we would just have everything easy and smooth and nothing would ever go wrong if I really love Jesus. And then finally, his providence. His providence is about trusting him when it doesn't make sense. It's about trusting him when the things that are happening in your life don't seem good, but knowing that he's still a good God in spite of it. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. We can absolutely trust him even when things don't necessarily make sense to us. A couple of weeks ago, my, my nephew called me. Uh, he lives up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's working with a missions organization up there, Youth With a Mission. And uh, a friend of his that was working there with him recently moved back to Minnesota. It was his best friend. He just got married a couple years ago. His wife's pregnant with their first child, seven months pregnant. They're, newly ma- they're married a couple of years. They're like 24 years old, I think. And he called, and he said that um, his, uh, the, his... Josh is his name. His wife, Mallory... She's seven months pregnant, went over to a friend's house to help her clean, and she was holding a glass, and she got faint, and she actually passed out and fainted. And somehow or another, it's the freakest thing I've ever seen, but she dropped the glass as she passed out. The glass broke, and she fell on it, and it cut her throat very badly. And they rushed her to the hospital. They called Josh, told him to come to the hospital. He came, and they came out after a little while and said, you know, she's stable, she's going to be okay. And they thought everything was okay. Well, the doctor came back in a little later and said, I'm sorry, we could not save her. And um, she, she went home to be with the Lord. Well, she was seven months pregnant, so they delivered the baby, but the baby had been without oxygen for 20 minutes. So there was a, a severe brain damage and there was no brain activity. They put the baby in NICU, The little girl's name was Minnie. They put her in the NICU for a couple of days and kept running tests. And after a couple days, uh, they said there was still no activity. So they, they pulled the plug and she passed away too. And, uh, you know, I barely know Josh. I met him at my nephew's wedding and uh, I know he's a good guy, loves the Lord. They, they, were, they were making a lot of sacrifices to serve the Lord actually. And so about, you know, three, four days after the funeral, I called my nephew and I said, hey, how's, I just want to know how Josh is doing. I've just been thinking about him and praying about him, praying for him. Cause you know, in one moment, he was a young married man with a, two months away from having a child, went from that to being a widower and his child was, was gone too. And I said, how is Josh doing? And he said, you know, he said, I just left. He actually stayed in Minnesota with him a little extra long before he left. And he said, I just left him yesterday. And he said, Josh told me that I've never been closer to the Lord than I am today. Never. And he said, I'm at peace and I'm trusting my God and I know that I'm gonna be okay. And man, that is something like, it's hard to even fathom what that feels like to go through something like that, doesn't it? But to have a young 24 year old guy like that, not, not, you know, we're not naive. We know he's gonna have C- Seasons over these next months and years that are gonna be very tough for him emotionally I'm sure but the fact that he can be a couple weeks removed and saying you know what I just trust God There was no lashing out. There was no anger. There was no shaking his fist at heaven saying God I gave everything for you and this is how you repay me. He's trusting in God's providence He's saying God I trust you even when it doesn't feel like you're good And that's where we need to be church. That's how we get that peace to be able to walk in that peace every day the only way we're going to be able to do that is to be able to say, God, I know you're good even when the situations around me aren't. It's, it's being able to trust him in spite of what's going on. So I want to challenge you with that today, church. A lot of us in this room are older than 24. We should be able to walk in that too. We should be making strides to walk in that peace and that rest that God has called us to do. But we have to be going after Jesus. We have to be going after him. He's the only way. There are no shortcuts. So I'm going to pray with us. And then, then Steve's going to just sing a verse of a song. We will give you opportunity. If you want to pray after we dismiss, we'll have prayer leaders up here. You can come pray. We're not rushing anybody out. But I want to pray for everybody because I believe this affects us all in some way or another. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we love you this morning, this afternoon, God. We love you. We love you, Jesus. You're so, so good. God, I just want to, as we're we're here this, this afternoon, God, I just want to lift up Josh to you. God, I pray that you would minister to him, that you'd continue to minister your peace to him in the midst of this trial that he's going through, God. Would you be his strength Would you be everything that he needs, Lord? And God, there are many in this room today that are going through things where they say, I need that peace too. I need that rest that Jesus talked about in Matthew 11. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. I want that rest. God, I pray that you'd give us an epiphany of what it looks like to live our life for you. And what we're doing, God, is not working. If we're we're living in a constant state of unrest and, and a lack of peace, God, would you show us what we need to do Differently, so that we can walk in your peace, God. I pray that we would be submitted to you, to your purposes, Lord. I pray that you would help us to win the battle of the mind. I pray, God, that you would help us to be strong in knowing that you are who you say you are, and you are our rest, you are our Sabbath, and we can trust in you every day, all day long, for the rest of our lives and into eternity, God. And we give you the praise and the thanks for it, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.